Dear listener, this podcast deals with intense topics related to illness and mortality in relation to cystic fibrosis and lung disease. I just want you to know that that's the direction we're going. And I hope you still listen. Are you sick? Huh? You I don't smoke? You get it. Huh? You, you, you look healthy. That's a bad you cough. Look, Are you okay? Are you yeah, okay? You, you smoke look, bad cough. You smoke? But you look healthy. Welcome to But You Look Healthy, a podcast about CF. I'm your host, Michael Healy. Today, we talk with Stephanie. She's 37. She lives in Toronto with her husband and their five-year-old son. And she is adamant about getting Trikafta to Canada. Our conversation was recorded this past April. And back then, Trikafta had not been approved in Canada. That's over a year after it was approved in the United States. Now, in July, Canada has since approved Trikafta. But that's only the first step. There are still issues to iron out about price, reimbursement, and distribution of the medicine. Again, all of this finally arriving over a year after people in the U.S. had been taking Trikafta and having their health and lives changed, maybe even lives saved. Stephanie has started and continues a grassroots movement called CF Get Loud Canada. She is advocating for access to Trikafta for Canadians. She tells us that story later of how she turned an idea into a national campaign. Still, it's important to note that while Canada has approved the use of Trikafta, there is still work and urgency needed in getting Trikafta actually in the hands of CF patients. But to begin, Stephanie and I started talking about our experiences with CF as kids. She was born in the 80s, and I was born in the 90s. Each decade had different treatments and advances. But in 1989, the CF gene was discovered. By the mid-90s, a cure was believed nearly impossible. Ever. We'd say, so you're saying there's a chance. That's where our blind hope comes from. That's why and how we do all we can to stoke hope. And to many of us, it's learned from our parents. Stephanie is also a mother. She knows CF and what it takes to be a mother in direct relation to the other's influence. As a child, your whole life can feel dictated to you. You go to school, you eat what is given to you, you do what adults say. So when it comes to going to clinic to see your CF doctor, or do your CF treatments and chest PT, it can feel as normal as being told to finish your homework. With CF, there is often a time when you begin to really understand that this isn't just something you do, it's actually your life. Stephanie, now a mother, reflected on what it might be like to have to navigate CF through a parent's eyes. Hard questions come up often and throughout a life with CF. I don't know what I understood, but I knew I knew something. I knew enough to make me upset. And I remember um, when maybe when I was around ten in clinic, um, maybe even younger. I saw it said chronic, mm. <clears throat> and my mom. I said to my mom, "What is that word?" She said, "Chronic." I'm like, "No, no, no." But what does it mean? And she said, "Well, it keeps going and doesn't get better, or mm. something along those lines." And we didn't have a conversation afterwards, but it really sunk in that this isn't going to get better. We're going to no. keep coming to clinic. What? You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that is a, um, a surprising element, maybe to like an outsider or honestly, even to myself, 
like mm-hmm. that realization. I mean, but as a child, and you especially know this as being a mother of a young child of like, uh, there's obviously so much they don't know and so much that they just like in the way like take for granted as but like, we reality. as parents create the reality sure so like cf parents have this huge responsibility to under to sort out what reality am i going to create for my cf yeah. kid which is a huge responsibility <laughs> and i mean i don't blame my parents for not sitting me down and be like so you have a fatal disease you know yeah. of course they wouldn't do that because we weren't focusing on that. We were focusing on what the doctors were telling us about hope and mm. about the cure being so close. We always heard that the cure is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a book recently and I heard that, you know, when the breakthrough happened in 1989, everybody was a buzz saying the cure is around the corner, the breakthrough medicines around the corner. And then there was one point in the nineties where they had actually said, you know what, we think this is incurable yeah. because they weren't making advances. Yeah. And then finally we got to the point that we're saying like, wait a minute, here's the breakthrough medicine we were yeah. waiting for. It just took three decades for me to get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It took a long time, but you know, it's read about the science behind it too. Yeah. Talking about Trikafta and the modulators and the, um, it's crazy. It's real science fiction. Almost. It's a sci-fi movie. It's amazing. It's, yeah. I love being part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, but going back to that, that idea of chronic, right. That I, that, there's a dual realization, maybe that it's serious, but then also I didn't even think about that, that there's also the realization of like, oh yeah, this is forever or ongoing. But kids don't understand forever. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talked about this before um, with a friend of mine, but, you know, if you have a kid and you say to them, we're going to go to Disney World in three weeks, they have no concept of time at five <laughs> or six, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to go, are we going tomorrow? Are we going now? Are we going tomorrow? When are we going? And they'll do that 500 times yeah. until you get to the three week yeah. mark. So when a nurse tells you a breakthrough medicine, a cure is right around the corner at six, you're like, next week, next month, are we coming to next clinic visit? Are we still coming every three months? Like you don't fully understand. Right. And I remember one time it was around, yeah, it was around 10. My mom and I were driving home from clinic and it's downtown Toronto and we live in the suburbs outside of Toronto. So it's about a 45 minute drive and we always get stuck in traffic which was my favorite part because it was sort of like one-on-one time we got to chat it out. And she just casually said to me, hey, Steph, one day you'll be stuck in traffic. You'll be driving us down. You know, Mm. you'll be the driver. And then I went really quiet and then just started to sort of have an anxiety attack and start Mm. crying. And she just looks over at me like, Steph, what did I say? And I said to her, if I'm driving, mom, I'm going to be 16 I'm going to be an adult. Mm-hmm. I'm there. I thought they'd find a cure by then. I didn't think mm. we'd go to clinic by then. What do you mean? I'm going to be 16 and still have CF. Yeah. So I really didn't understand yeah. one that 16 is not an adult <laughs> <laughs> Two, that um, to me, that felt like an eternity. Six yeah. years from now, yeah. we're still going to be doing this. Nah, I'm still going to get blood work. Nah. You know, I thought I'd be dumping my enzymes in a toilet. I always had these huge <laughs> visuals of me just big parting it up like champagne, yeah. but like bursting enzymes yeah. in the air, like forget you, yeah. you know? We're done. Yeah. Celebratory. Yeah. I know, yeah. I, uh, I have an older brother who doesn't have CF and I don't remember this, but my mom says when I was, you know, around five or six or maybe even younger asking like, so um, when did, his name is John, uh, when did John like get done with CF? 
Like, when is that oh, going to happen for me? Like, you know, like, Your poor like, mom. like I'm done. I, you know, this has been, this has been fun and all, but like, come on, like, let's, let's move to the next phase. He seemed to do it. And, um, and like, yeah. yeah, you're saying that kind of like, oh, this isn't, it seems like an option. Uh, uh, it seems not obligatory as a child. It's like, I guess I have to do this, but I can't wait till I don't have to. Yeah, it's like, oh, you get rid of training wheels. You get rid of all these like milestones. Yeah. You get rid of your your laces. You, you know, you move into laces. It's a Velcro straps on your shoes. There's <laughs> yeah, all this yeah. evolution that happens. But in CF, you get things added to your protocol, mm-hmm. not taken away. Wow. Usually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it's so plain, but like I think that's pretty profound. Like the experience over time, I feel like we get better at handling a lot of the really awful parts and part of my experience too has been like getting practiced uh getting handed bad information or more bad surprises like oh I guess this is another thing and I have to deal with uh, yeah and it's it's so hard because you think you'd get better with time but I felt like once I had more responsibilities once I had dug my roots deeper and deeper as you know mid-30s mm-hmm. I felt that, you know, I now have sort of a legacy to look forward to. I have a son, I have a husband, I have all these law, I have a mortgage, you know, like all these long-term things that you sign, a retirement plan, a pension. As you grow these roots and plant the seeds for the future, I found the bad news almost more difficult to take Mm. because Mm. as a kid, I almost felt like I could have, I could have lost everything and it would have been more of, I don't know, it would have been maybe easier, but as because you are just so agile and um, uh, kids evolve so quickly and they get used to the surroundings. I mean, my son's lived in a pandemic and I've been homeschooling for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, kids are and the kids are fine, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, as an adult, you're you're less agile. You're you can't mm-hmm. adapt as easy and you just have so much to lose. And you've you've understood the value and the beauty mm-hmm. in life. You've seen so much. You can't go back, you know. <laughs> As with any child that goes through their teenage years feeling rebellious or insecure, teenagers with CF have to navigate how to fit in with their CF looming all around. Everyone handles it differently. Stephanie said she went in the CF closet. You know, growing up the average teenager, you know, speaking from a female perspective, it's hard to um, accept every bit of yourself, Mm -hmm. especially if you have something that's a little bit different. So um, I found that the older I got and the more different I felt and the more obvious CF became, um, you, you just uh, personally, instead of going forward to towards acceptance, I did the opposite. I turned my back on my disease. I kind of took that subject of CF and just put it down in a pit of my stomach and let's never talk about it. Mm. And I, I locked it up in a little box. I didn't, I, my parents respected my choice to, um, not, you know, I, they expected me to be compliant, but they didn't expect me to be a poster child. They didn't expect me to go and do speeches. Uh, I wanted desperately to be like everyone else. I wanted to be like my friends. So I, I just one step at a time learned to remove Sia from my life, mm. which is wild because like, how do you do that? It's a huge piece of my life, but I wanted to prove to everyone in actually a very unhealthy way that if you even suspected that I was sick, oh, I'll show you, yeah. you know, I didn't just travel. I traveled the world. I didn't just have a career. I worked on Bay street, which is like our wall street. Mm-hmm. And I worked till, you know, midnight every night. And I was like, work hard, play hard, work hard. Yeah. If you suspected I was sick or somebody said, oh, do you know, Steph had CF? 
Yeah. Someone else would say, no, <laughs> look at her, you know? So, but, yeah. you know, behind closed doors, that was incredibly unhealthy because when you're not acknowledging this beast that you're facing, it's winning as well. Mm. So, you know, I'd go home and I'd be coughing up blood and I would just think nothing of it because what CF? Mm. I don't have CF, you know? I went a year without going to clinic and wow. it, it, um, it got to the point that my team sat me down and they're like, Steph, what are you doing? And, and the doctor, the, the chief of uh, CF in our area, she said, we have the biggest clinic in North America. It's a huge clinic. And she mm. said, Steph, I'm not worried about you now. I'm worried about you 10 years from now. I'm worried about you when you want to have a family, when you want to ha like, have plans for the rest of your life and you can't do them because you've abused your body today. Yeah. Uh, and it was a real, it was really eye-opening for me, but it still took me quite a long time um, to take care of myself. High school was a tense time for me as well. I think in general, the teenage years are about separating yourself from your parents and finding your own identity. This is hard to do with CF, not only because your actions might have bigger consequences, but because so much of CF care is a team effort. Often, one's parents are deeply involved. How do you forge your own identity or become independent when so much of your life can't be handled alone? CF, with all its upkeep and treatments and mental and physical strain, is so big, it's hard to do alone. Transitioning into owning one's care is very difficult, especially for a teenager. In high school, I rebelled, not in a traditional sense. I didn't drink or smoke or even go to parties, but I really fought back with complying with my CF treatments. I think it was about control over my life or my body, or health. In the melodrama that is high school, it seemed like nothing I did mattered. I still just got sick. This was also a time when I learned about the life expectancy of CF. I was really angry at the world, at my parents, at myself. Not doing treatments felt like the only form of control, or even choice, that I had. Here. Stephanie breaks down the idea of control, talks about her teammate, and the difficulty of transitioning out of a children's hospital. You're trying to take control. It's all about control. You nailed yeah. it. It's, it's all about how do I show CF before CF shows me? You know, right. How do I show up and be me? And, and I'm, it was almost, I was always being chased by it, mm -hmm. you know, but I always wanted to be at least the one it's chasing me, you know, like, yeah. but I didn't want to sit down while it sat on top of me in terms yeah. of suffocating me quite literally, mentally, yeah. physically, yes, everything, yes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. as we know, CF catches up to you. You can't just right. ignore it. Um, and I was very fortunate that when I met my now husband and I told him finally about my CF, mm. he, one, kept my secret with me, mm. but it became a team effort. So, you know, as a woman, you don't want to ever feel like you need a man. But in my case, I needed an ally, a partner mm -hmm. to say, Steph, like, we, we need to hear for the long haul. And, mm -hmm. and what do we need to do? And so mm -hmm. he took on a lot of this role with me and said, okay, yeah, CF doesn't define you, but we got to deal with it. So, you know, I'm going to do your physio morning and night, and I'm going to remind you to do your stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to get away with this. 
<laughs> and and not like just in a very loving way yeah. and just always had my back. Um, it really changed the whole trajectory of, of my life. It's not like, oh, lucky Stephanie, you got it so easy. Now you have like a, a someone to help you. It's like, no, it's like it's it's that intense and big. It's like we do need teams. Well, I we think there's something teams. that happens, though, when you go from having this being a family disease, you know, families do fundraisers. Because like, even when I was in the closet with CF, mm -hmm. my family still did like all the fundraisers, mm -hmm. all the walks, all that sort of thing. So it's one thing to go from this family experience uh, and, you know, your your all of your medicine sort of in the, the family room, the TV room, whatever you <laughs> yeah. want to call it. And it's out on display and, and, every, it's, and it's a normal, it's very normalized in your home. Yeah. So then plucking yourself out of that environment, you know, moving to a new city, getting your own apartment, possibly having roommates, you have to really find your own place with it <laughs> and carve out your own life with CF. Yeah. And for me, that transition was, was, was hard. And it's, it's like, I look back at that thinking like, I'm a strong person. Why was that so difficult? But I just think also leaving a children's hospital, you know, sick, uh, sick kids in Toronto here, you, you're there up until 18 and then you're transferred to St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. And it's like, you're a big kid now, here you go. <laughs> but you go from this experience of, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs and you know hockey players stroming mm -hmm. through the halls, celebrities going through the halls, like Ryan Reynolds is a big celebrity for that hospital right now. So you go from having this magical, mm like this is not a normal you know hospital this is a children's hospital mm -hmm. thing it is their job to make you feel wonderful there <laughs> and then you're just pushed on to the adult hospital mm. and they do not care you know like um it's just such a they rip off the band-aid so quickly and i feel like you know right now i work on the patient advisory board for the hospital mm -hmm. and this year one of my goals with the board is to try to help that transition time how do we make sure that when you're still a child, because your brain's not developed, you know, you're 18, yeah. but you're expected <clears throat> to be completely in charge of a very intense yes. fatal disease. It's, yes. it's a big job, you know, and, and we all do it, but some do it better than others. The truth is that transitioning to an adult hospital is a newer aspect of CF care. For a long time, most people with CF did not live long enough need to transfer treatment to adult care. A huge part of CF is knowing there's a high probability you'll just continue to get sicker, even if you do everything right. Sometimes it feels like you are battling two CFs, the one that is here now making me feel sick, and the one that I know is down the road, which I always imagined as worse and more complicated. Stephanie and I started talking about how every birthday had extra significance because time felt like a very limited resource. What Usually. year did you think that you would, um, that would be your possible final year? Did you ever have a number in mind? Yeah, I, that's a great question. For me, honestly, it was like 35. And, and that was a big year for me too. Yeah. And like, and, and part of it was, um, you know, I got trikafta at the beginning of 2020 uh, so I was like 29, basically, when I started taking it. But up until then, it was like every year it was like, whoa, um, this is starting to pile up. Like, yes, uh, you know, yeah. 35 was... seems abstract. But then like when you're when you're when you have the felt sense, it's like 35 actually feels incredibly far away for the toll it takes on my body to do a year of life. Yes. Yeah. 
it's like dog ears. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, for me, the age was 21 for the longest time. Mm. And then once I hit 21, I thought, oh, oh, here we are, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that age in my mind moved to 35. I thought, well, mm -hmm. if I made it 21, there's no way I'm going to make it 35. So when I turned to 36, that was wild for me, yeah. you know? And I was very sick. So to be pushing your own, your own life expectancy, pushing your own limits, but at the same time, progressively getting more sick, it gets, mm. it's a wild ride, yeah, you know? No. It's a, it's a, like, I, yeah, you said it perfectly. Like it's, it's this total layer cake of, of, uh, just mind fuck really. Yeah. I was holding that back, but you <laughs> said it. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to go back to, uh, you know, speaking of your husband and, um, like how nice it is to have someone on your team and to do this together. Uh, but really kind of the strength you found through advocacy. Um, and maybe you can even take us into a little bit of like specifically, what is your advocacy that you have taken on for CF and maybe what it means to you or also the strength you get maybe from having that as a community, as well as fighting together for other people with CF. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, I was in the CF closet till I was 34 years old. So uh, I would advocate for CF, but I, I would always just be passionate about the community. I would never make it about me. Mm -hmm. And my, it was intense. My in-laws didn't know about my CF. Like I married wow. a family that didn't know about my CF. Yeah. My career of 16 years did not know about my CF. Mm -hmm. um, I could count on one hand and I was <laughs> 34, how many people knew, mm. but then I'd hit rock bottom. I was being evaluated for double lung transplant mm -hmm. and it was becoming increasingly hard to hide this. So mm -hmm. along with the, um, kind of the mental health challenges that come with hearing the word transplant. I got to a point where I had to leave my career. Uh, my team, my CF team said, Steph, you need to stop because mm -hmm. I was still, I'm very type A and I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and, until I was putting myself in the hospital. So they asked me to step back from my career. So here I was, I lost my career. I lost a big piece of my identity mm -hmm. and I felt like my universe was just breaking in half. I went to therapy aggressively during that time because mm -hmm. I thought I'm okay to lose my lung function. I'm okay to lose, you know, pound after pound when mm -hmm. I'm sick. I'm not okay with losing my joy. I've always mm -hmm. been a very joyous person. I've always really loved life and I've always seen the magic in life, even through all the darkness. You know, I've had a lot, I've had amazing conversations waiting in an ER room, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but for me to start losing my joy was unacceptable for me. So mm -hmm. I was very proactive about dealing with that. But through that, we really focused on self-acceptance. Because mm -hmm. one of my first sessions, I said, you know, I have this woman who's me. And I travel the world. And I and I run a team, you know, downtown. And I, um, I'm active. I'm a mom. I'm this and that. And then I have this other woman that is sick. And I'm exhausted. And I'm mm -hmm. tired. And I'm frightened. And she said, you know, those are the same people right <laughs> like of course i knew that i didn't have some i didn't have um i wasn't delusional right yeah, but it was yeah. like yeah you're right so it was <laughs> it was learning to give myself some grace and and being okay with what i saw as flaws and appreciating mm -hmm. them for strengths instead of weaknesses uh but i got to the point where i was starting to accept this transplant journey that i was on i got a, i went through the entire evaluation Mm. Uh, they said I was a good candidate, but I had to be ready to list because you have to mentally be ready. Mm. And I wasn't. Uh, at the same time, 
fate would have it that in the U.S., the FDA expedited in 90 days for CAFTA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the CF community is small. Yeah. Uh, online, on social media, a lot of us are connected. And I'm yeah. on social media a lot. <laughs> and I have a lot of friends in the States. And I'm watching them cry happy tears. Mm. And I'm crying happy tears right along with them. I'm hearing them talk about their recovery process, what it feels like to take a deep breath. And here I am. I'm on an IV constantly. It was about mm-hmm. two years of pneumonia that I couldn't shake. Mm-hmm. I was in the ICU. I was um, at one point, my mom who lives in Florida and she's in her seventies, she had to come and live with us to help me because I couldn't bathe. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be an active parent and my husband couldn't go to work. Uh, and I already left my job. You can't have two people home, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it got to the point that it was really looking like the end. Mm-hmm. And then here we have everyone in the state celebrating. Aside from the conflict of joy and pain it must be to watch others with your disease get relief while you can't, Stephanie was right to feel confusion. She lives in Canada. They're supposed to have good health care. Life expectancy is even higher for CF in Canada. I asked Stephanie to tell me how she began building CF Get Loud. You know, right now, Canada has the highest life expectancy in the world for CF. Mm-hmm. We, we live nine extra years typically. So I always thought, oh, well, I live in Canada. Yeah. We have access to all of this. <laughs> Where's my trichafta? You know, practically right. holding it in my hand. I thought it would just be a matter of dotting the I's and crossing the T's and mm-hmm. here we go, you know? Um, and then I was, it was shocking to find out that this medicine wasn't coming anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who to be angry at, my country for letting me down or the manufacturer because the manufacturer had not submitted it. They had not submitted it though, because Canada's rehauling its healthcare system right now and making some changes that look a little dicey Mm. uh, to bring big innovation in immediately. So it was sort of rocky waters. So I thought, well, I can either go and get this transplant or I can get real loud. So (laughs) I, I really put myself out there without any ego, without any pride. I just put myself out there and I begged for people mm. to stand up and use their voice and fight for this community because I live an hour and a half from the border. And at the time, my husband and I were planning on moving. My husband mm. had got a job in New York or got a job offer and we're lining one up in New York and we are looking at relocating. And I thought, well, this is ironic. We're leaving Canada for healthcare. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, we've always been fed this idea that. Oh, well, you know, thank God we live in Canada with CF, you know, because I don't have to worry about a wallet, insurance cards, insurance of any kind. But and that's great. You know, if you break your leg, you don't have to worry about how much money you have in your pocket, whether you're insured, whatever. But if something really is happening Mm -hmm. and you need gene modulators for that right now, we're still very screwed. Mm. So it's sort of like I haven't found a perfect healthcare system in all the research that we've done over the last (laughs) year or so. But this isn't it right now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're the last country to have vaccines. It's wild. Um, But so I got real loud. I got on social media. I did Instagram stories. And I really was asking moms like me to stand up for me Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to talk to the echo chamber of CF patients. I want to talk to the woman that maybe lives in the same city and has no idea what CF is, Mm -hmm. but knows what it's like to want to be a good mom. Mm. And to me, a good mom is staying alive. It gave me the most mama bear, like, rage mm. to think of my son losing his mom before mm. he was five years old and that's what was that's where we were going yeah so I had 
really thousands of families share my message, share my videos. I got a, um, the local news contacted me. They came to my home. They did a whole story on us. A couple of their news stations picked it up. It went mm -hmm. national. Um, and then I started, so I was meeting with politicians, meeting with news stations. I sat in my local MP, who's in, like a politician, mm -hmm. and I asked her to help me. She kind of shrugged her shoulder. She couldn't do anything. Mm. Uh, and then I wrote and sent care packages to the manufacturer. Wow. Like a crazy woman. I just, <laughs> it was right before Christmas. I laid out all these photos and, um, mm. and letters. My son, who was four, wrote Tricafta with crayons down a Santa <laughs> list. My, my husband wrote a letter about meeting his wife. I mm. wrote a letter about... This is my son. He's my first miracle. Give me mm -hmm. my second miracle. Save this Canadian family. Mm -hmm. And I sent all of these executives at Vertex registered mail. And I don't know if it did anything, but um, it made me feel like I was doing something. Mm -hmm. But the key message is I got very loud and I was very relentless. Uh, and the story thankfully got picked up. Uh, and then I was at clinic on January 8th. And I was, you know, I had my <laughs> advocacy relentless hat on thinking, mm. okay, I'm going to talk to the pharmacist. Cause I was harassing this pharmacist <laughs> at the time. And he came, I said, I need to speak to Kevin, the pharmacist. I went in the clinic room because I was being connected to a new cocktail solution of IV fluids, right. because no matter what we use, nothing was working. My mm. lungs were too bad. Uh, so I was just there to test out some new IV meds. And when I got there, the pharmacist came in my room and he said, Stephanie, we've seen all the work you're doing. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've really used your voice for this and mm. uh, you've been hurt. You're going to be the first person in Canada to receive Trikafta mm. on compassionate care use, meaning you're going to get the medicine for free for life mm. or until Canada gets this sorted out. <laughs> so that felt like winning the life lottery Yeah, because um, our healthcare system is very slow in approving. Yeah. So it takes 12 months typically for regular approval. And an expedited approval takes six months. Yeah. And I kept saying, well, if our neighbors to the South did it in 90 days and they're taking it and it's clearly safe and effective, why is it going to take, you yes. know, 12 months here? Yeah. Stephanie was the first person ever in Canada to take Trikafta. The news came to her house and filmed her taking her first dose. She went viral, the good kind. But that also brought with it a lot of people reaching out to her, asking how she got it, or being angry that she got some and others didn't. Really, the whole gamut of types of emails that come from publicity. It was a lot on top of all the changes Trikafta brings. But you know, when you start Trikafta, it's a bit of a journey. <laughs> you know, it's like the first day, especially when you're so sick, mm -hmm. is tough. And it was, um, you know, a big life change. I was very overwhelmed. So yes. I was trying to get back to everyone, but I was still very weak. Um, and I was having a really hard time. So I was talking to a couple friends of mine that have CF. The three of us were all on IV poles, all fighting <laughs> to, you know, beat that next infection. Mm -hmm. And I had a, I, I really broke down with them. And I said, guys, like, I, I'm having such a hard time reading about these kids on ventilators. Uh, I, I'm still recovering and like wrapping my mind around this. Mm -hmm. And they said, Steph, let's start an email address and we'll divide and conquer. And every single one of us will get back to each one of these requests and yeah. whether they're just needing information because they didn't know what Trikafta was or they are um, asking how, why can we get compassionate care? 
we, we vowed to give back to every single person. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, we started this grassroots movement called CF Get Loud. And what we're doing is we're encouraging people to use their voice, uh, that anyone can be an advocate. You know, it's never too late to start. Uh, we're elevating messages because we have 4,400 people in our grassroots movement. Uh, so if you're putting in a story out there, if you're going to your local newspaper, we're going to elevate it up, try mm. to get it national, right? Um, and we're just hoping to empower them, to show them that, like, you know, you don't have to do a training course to be an advocate. You can tell your story. You can tell you, you yeah. can tell Canada why you need to survive. Well, you need to be here. Yeah. I don't think it's, I can't in good conscience take three pills a day that it saved my life. You know, mm-hmm. I went from full-time oxygen. I couldn't, I could barely walk. I couldn't, I couldn't bathe myself to being relatively fine you know I'm not I haven't been like knock on wood I haven't had a hospital admission over a year which is a big deal for me right now um you know I'm I'm working on just typical inhaled meds um no you know my digestive system I used to be in chronic awful pain Mm -hmm. I'm in no pain now you know I'm a new human being mm. and I'm still watching people across my country suffer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's disgusting. I truly mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no excuse for it. You know, uh, at, at the beginning, it was a tug of war between the government saying, oh, it's big, bad pharma, uh, which, you know, for me, that's really easy to say. But how mm-hmm. about big breakthroughs? How about big innovation? You know, mm. um, and then finally, the manufacturer submitted to Health Canada on December 23rd, mm. um, 2020. So then from that point on, they're doing an expedited review and we're hoping to see it uh, get approved by June 23rd, June 30th. Hell yeah. But that doesn't mean it's funded. Nobody can afford this medicine. Yes. And a lot of people with CF do not have insurance. So uh, we have like a two-tiered system. Either you have a job and then you have private insurance because you have a big corporate job or you have the Ontario um, or whatever province you're in, you have your own provincial healthcare system, which covers mm-hmm. all safe medications right now, but gene modulators. Yeah. So we've been fighting for simple ones like Simdico or Cambi, mm-hmm. Kaleidico for eight years. So, I mean, this is definitely the biggest breakthrough in terms of efficacy. This has made the biggest impact yes. on the community, uh, but we still have a huge battle. Once June, the end of June comes along, We'll celebrate Canada in July, Canada Day in July, you know. Uh, but we will, until patients have this medicine in their hands yeah. and in their bodies, it's considered no access. So Absolutely. we won't stop yeah. until everyone is crying happy tears on social media with pills in hand. Hell yeah. I mean, I love it. And and we're right here with you. You know, the CF community, as you said, is small. And uh, hopefully we can figure out a way to... Uh, continue to help Canada be loud and uh, it's available in 32 other countries that doesn't mean it's funded but it's available in 32 other countries uh we are one of the only developed countries in the world without a rare disease strategy Mm. sorry we are the only developed country in the world without a rare disease strategy it's um we're at a point where we're gonna either turn things around and be back to people that are proud of their healthcare system or, or go in a really scary direction. And I feel like you're gonna see people leave. I don't know. 2020 was a hard year for basically every human, all in varying degrees. But I think most people would call 2020 a tough year. For those of us lucky enough to have started taking Trikafta at the same time the pandemic began, it has also been one of the best years of life. Stephanie described it 
as being overwhelmed with gratitude. A lot has been said about how Trikafta has made breathing easier. It has also transformed CF bodies in many other ways. For me, walking feels different. Sleeping feels different. My body has filled out more and actually looks proportional. Stephanie shared some of the differences Trikafta has brought her in the obvious and not so obvious ways. For the most part of 2020, I kept saying, I don't care. This is still my favorite year because I miss so much time with my son. You know, I'd be at the hospital. He'd be FaceTiming me. We'd be like, mama, let's go play. And I'd be like, honey, I'm tired because I'd be on IV. Mm. My family room was turned into a hospital room. You know, I'd have home nurses coming in all the time. Uh, that's not a way to be a mom to a little boy that's active and wants to play. So for me, taking him out of school, homeschooling him for the year, uh, just because I don't have a risk capacity still, you know, Um, it's been a real hidden blessing because I've got to understand and meet him all over again, but Mm. meet him with not tired eyes, but refreshed eyes. Mm. You know, I don't wake up coughing for an hour and, and want to go back to bed. I wake up, I'm like, all Mm. right, babe, let's go, let's do this, you know? So (laughs) For me, it's been a real big gift for us to be yeah. not just, but honestly, and, I, and it's probably the same in your family, but when you're sick, your support system is also very stressed out. Yes. I don't know how we could have handled me that sick and the pandemic. My husband's stress levels would have been through the roof because yeah. that would have just put that much more pressure. But I literally have, you know, a sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could take a deep breath for the first time in so many years mm-hmm. and I'm okay if I can't go to the mall, you know, like I'm okay. I'm okay. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. I know that I'm not simplifying the pandemic to not being able to go to the mall. Of course. I'm just saying um, I really got the chance to view life with a critical lens of what matters. Mm. And would it be nice to have a dual income and have, you know, uh, more finances, this and that. Sure. But that doesn't matter in life. You know, mm-hmm. if we're getting by, we're safe, we're cozy, we have food still to eat, thank God, you know, mm-hmm. we're okay. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need a lot right now. I'm still overwhelmed with gratitude that I'm in this really good place still. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's like graciously grateful or like, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's, um, there's a lot that's changed, I think, for most people that have taken Tricast. And I just, and, um, I marvel at it every day. I don't know about you, but yesterday I put on shorts and I've never put on shorts at this weight before. Mm. And I feel like most women would have been like, no, my thighs, you know, <laughs> but I'm just like, Jim, I have cellulite. Like I'm saying yeah. to my husband, like, look, and he's yeah. like, how amazing is that to <laughs> at 37 years old yeah. for the first time in life, put on shorts and, and not just see two bone yeah. legs, you yes. know, but to see healthy curves. It's yes. so comforting you know yes. even for myself like even like if I just you know if I was just warming up my hands or rubbing them on my thighs for a second I'm like oh it's soft you know it's just so yeah. wonderful yeah. to not have achy bones but to have a comfortable <laughs> yeah. body you know Ab- totally totally feel that and like you know sometimes I feel like I explain it like I feel like a finally I'm in the body I always imagined I had you know yes it's like yeah it's always kind of been like, I'm still me and I'm still like physically me, but it's like, now it's like, oh, this looks like a body. Well, yeah, to- my nails have changed. Like my yeah. hands changed because my nails were getting very clubbed and they've mm-hmm. straightened out, which mm-hmm. I was very self-conscious of. It's such a little thing, but uh, it's very unusual to see clubbed nails. Uh, to, so, to have my finger ends not be swollen, my nails have gone from curved to straight. 
Uh, my skin has gone from a blue tinge to a just my skin color, you know, um, my hair has grown significantly. Mm -hmm. My eyes look brighter. My I've gained 30 pounds, you know, and I actually grew a centimeter as crazy as that is because I'm, I guess, because my, my spine can straighten out more than ever before. It's Mm -hmm. just, and my sense of smell. One of the first days I went on Trikafta a few within that first week, I went downstairs to get my son's laundry which as simple as that and as simple as that is to go down a set of stairs to bring up a thing of laundry would have mm-hmm. never happened before Trikafta. Mm-hmm. But I sat down at the dryer, open it up and just burst into tears mm-hmm. because I didn't know that it smelled so yeah. nice, you know, his yes. little baby, baby, um, you know, baby detergent with a bit of lavender in it. It just, oh, it smelled so nice. Yeah. It's the simple things. It's the simple things. I asked Stephanie if it has changed how she thinks about time, how much time she has, how much more time she has with her son, the plan she can make or hope for, and what she would tell herself or her son about this whole experience. It's so wonderful because every milestone, I mean, in a good way and a bad way, was so overly emphasized. You know, when he, her, his first day of JK, I was a mess because I had no idea if I had a, if I would have seen him go to kindergarten, right? Mm-hmm. As junior kindergarten. So um, everything was, there's so much pressure on even the smallest moment with him. And now that's relaxed, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I still appreciate it, but not with such anxiety, not with so, it's not like a bucket list feeling. It's not like that doom and gloom bucket list. It's just a wonderful mm-hmm. awareness of like, here we go again. He's a new age. <laughs> He's, you know, he'll be six this year. It's just, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I want to dream of his wedding. I want to dream of dancing at his wedding. I want to dream of, you know, he's only six, but like that's where my headspace is now. And that's new, you know? I went from the person that thought I was living till, you know, 21 and then 35. And now I'm thinking of um, 20 years from now down the future (laughs) and and just smiling, thinking like, oh, he's going to have the best wedding, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. That, I mean, that's just, it's remarkable and amazing. Um, as we near the end of our time here together, I like asking people kind of in the reflective way of like, oh, if you could give yourself or your younger self advice, uh, but, I'll, but I'll leave it open to you too. As like, you have in a way, a younger mm-hmm. you, your son, uh, if you could give him a message from now, or it could be even yourself now as you just said like 20 years from now what would you want to hear or or what is something that you can distill from this unearthly experience in a way (laughs) I think um you know I always tell him we can do hard things and I think that if you're terrified you know you go forward do it anyways be brave I didn't understand how brave I could be until I had to get up and in front of Canada and fight for my life. Mm-hmm. And he witnessed this. And I think it was a real pivotal moment for him. Um, but I really hope that he gets to know himself first before he cares about what anyone else thinks. I spent so much of my life preoccupied with what people will think of me if they found out I was sick, mm-hmm. what people would think if they saw my medication sitting on a counter, if they came over for you know a, a play date when mm-hmm. I was little. Um, I really hope that he can have the self-assurance and the strength to worry about what he thinks about himself first, 
I always say to him, if he does a good job at something, I say, baby, are you proud of yourself? He's like, yeah, I don't want him to care if I'm proud. I don't want him to care if his buddy's proud. Mm-hmm. I want him to be proud. So I hope that I can be very aware of, of mental health and, and catch early if I ever see him struggle mm-hmm. and just always be aware that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share what you're scared about and move forward anyways as a team. Um, and I just, I mean, I think my mom did a wonderful job. She was by me every step of the way. So, I mean, she's my hero. I hope to be like her too. So I don't know. I just, I, I just, I hope he can stand on his two feet firmly and fully accept him for everything he is. Stephanie told me she is a work hard, play hard kind of person. It also sounds like she's an advocate hard, love hard kind of person. I don't know if it says more about Stephanie's will to live or the life-changing power of Trikafta. Either way, that fervor took Stephanie from being in the CF closet to speaking up on an international level. And what is bravery but boldness in the face of fear? That's something to be proud of. CF Get Loud Canada now advocates for everyone in the Canadian CF community who are also seeking access to this life-saving drug. These problems are complex. The relief from Trikafta is profound. And now, Stephanie has even more energy and life to continue to get loud. You could say, she's just getting started. Work hard, play hard, advocate hardest. I'd like to thank Stephanie for bravely sharing her stories. You can find her and CF Get Loud on Instagram and other social media. Find those links in this episode's summary. Special thanks to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation Impact Grant for making this podcast possible. But You Look Healthy is produced by Michael Healy and Kevin Hong. Coming up next on But You Look Healthy, we connect with Jacob. Bring it back to I woke up sleeping on my back. I slept a full night. I did not cough. I haven't seen blood in my sputum for over a year. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm good right now. So like, yeah. let's, let's pick it up. Until then, breathe easy. 